to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm Danielle, all the way in the UK, and... This is Melanie in sunny, hot California. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back, and uh, I think we're getting the hang of this now, Melanie, do you think? I think so. Yeah, we've got loads of new listeners, and people are giving us feedback, and it's going pretty well. We're on episode seven, which is pretty nice. So... Here we go. Last week we agreed that now we are going to replace the concept of housekeeping with its new title, Update. Dun dun. So, (laughs) we'll do that again. Update. Dun dun. Melanie, do you have any updates? Um, I don't. Um, nope, I got nothing. Okay. You do that. Yes, I do. I shouldn't have done it quite like that, but there you go. It's happened <laughs> and it's done. Um, yeah, so one of our, our fellow podcasters and new listeners um, from the podcast Monarchs and Malarkey, which is awesome, by the way. You should check it out. So another, good. Oh, it's so good. And it's another new podcast like us, and they're fabulous. Anyway, um, they have messaged us to let us know that we should probably clarify that in our Mummies episode, uh, we jumbled up where some of the mummies were from. So to clarify, Inca are Andean, Aztec are Mexican Guatemalan. And in the interests of um, accuracy, thank you very, very much for correcting us. And yeah, so don't keep messaging if we know. <laughs> yeah, stop um, bombarding our inbox, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know, God. <laughs> Just too much, too much. Um. Anyway, that's it for our updates. Um, other than um, that's it. Yeah, that's about it. That's it. Uh, <laughs> right. So next is the purge. Melanie, do you have anything to purge? I do, but again, it's just another personal thing. My son is going away for three days, so I'm a little <sighs> heavy in the heart. But he's he's going away with his grandpa on a trip, and and uh, he's gonna have a lot of fun. And he's away from me. If I just start crying at any point, you'll know why. Melanie, our listeners will not know how old your son is. How old is he? He's 82. Yeah, no, he's he's, <laughs> he's seven <laughs> years old. Um, and he's going to hit three baseball games in three days, I believe. Yeah. That's their plan. Yeah, right. <laughs> in, a, in a man's RV with some man men who... Uh, Love their sports and beers and and uh, manning. Sounds mantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Oh, it is. Oh Lord, that's beautiful. But yeah, so he's he's gonna go be a man, and uh, you know he likes getting his nails painted. But you know it is what it is, and he's gonna have fun. And I'm okay. I did my I did my little crying thing, and I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes. She's fine. We all know. <laughs> oh, right. Is it my turn to purge? Your turn to purge. Okay. Fucking seagulls. Again? Again. <laughs> Bloody birds. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm just I. It is the season, and I just. They are. I I literally. Um, I can't believe I just said literally. I, I never say that anymore. I literally, literally went outside yesterday and screamed at three seagulls to go away. <laughs> I, I, okay, so I'm trying to watch some film and all I could hear was, I'm not going to reenact it. <laughs> Essentially, I could just hear these three seagulls and one was a baby. So the baby was calling out and the mama was there calling out back to it. And then there was one like trying to attack the baby. So I could feel the drama in the air. And I just went to turn her, I'm, I'm going to break this up. And I went to the front door and I just went. <laughs> and they actually flew away. And, nice. and we got about an hour of peace <laughs> before there was the, the, the coin came back. It's our fault that they are the way that they are. And they're oh and I also know that they're not actually called seagulls, they're called herringulls. So before someone writes in about that, yeah, there, there's no such thing as seagulls. Seagulls are not a thing. They're herringulls or just gulls. They're water birds. Water birds. Oh god, okay. Right, that's it. Shall we breathe now? Let's breathe, right? On the count of three. One, 
Hey, Melanie, when you listen back to the podcast, do you find yourself breathing at that point? Every time. <laughs> Me too. Every time. I really hope that whoever's listening is is taking that breath with us because it feels so good. It's like a psychosomatic reaction, isn't it? You just kind of naturally do it with, and then you catch yourself and find it a bit ridiculous. But at the same time, that's the point. We want you all to mm-hmm. take a breath before we go running into this um, potentially catastrophic podcast. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think humans also really like a countdown. So, you know, oh, we know there's going to be a breath. We know there's a countdown. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm in this. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right, Danielle. So what is our topic for the day? Our topic today is witches' curses. <laughs> I don't no, know what that noise was. <laughs> it was a goat. It sure was. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. See, I can't even emulate that. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, usually when we start a topic, um, we start out with a definition and some background. And so the definition of background of witches' curses is uh, a witch's curse is a curse placed upon a person by a witch. Melanie, do you have <laughs> do you have any examples of such things? I do. So I'd say okay, one of one of the most famous witches' curses out here on this side of the pond. Um, is the Bell Witch. Bell Witch has been the basis of many horror movies, many scary stories. I realized when I was researching it that I didn't know a whole lot. And the more that I was reading about it, the more ridiculous it sounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so over the top. But here we go. Let's get into it. I'm ready. In the early 1800s, roughly 1804, John Bell, with his wife and child, moved from North Carolina to what was once Robertson County, Tennessee. It is now Adams, Tennessee. They settled and bought some land. Over the next several years, he acquired more and more land, uh, land, eventually owning up to 328 acres. He was made elder of Red River Baptist Church and had many more children. I think he ended up capping at like four or five children. One day in 1817, he saw a strange creature while out inspecting his fields, like a dog, but with the face of a rabbit. He shot at it, but missed. Soon thereafter, that night in fact, came the late night sounds of something beating the outside of their house. The sounds increased, each night getting worse. As the days turned into weeks, the frightened children began complaining of rats gnawing on their bedposts, then having their pillows pulled off of them and their pillows thrown to the floor. Eventually came the faint, whispery voices, like an old woman quietly singing hymns to herself. Things got worse and worse, John and his older daughter Betsy seeming to get the brunt of it. It would pull Betsy's hair, slap her face, leaving welts and bruises all over her body. They tried to keep it quiet, not tell a soul. But eventually they asked a friend of theirs to come and investigate because they were it was just getting to be too much. But even the guests of the Bells would come to try and prove or disprove the events left having been terrified and assaulted. The disembodied voice grew stronger and louder, as did the violence. Suddenly, it was clear as a, dare I say it, bell. (laughs) Loud and unmistakable, it sang hymns, quoted scriptures, carried conversation, even once quoting word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles away. Yeah, that. I have something to say about that, but I'll I'll let you continue. Well, because it's completely insane, and there's absolutely absolutely no way to verify that. Yeah, it's just complete and utter tough. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, this spirit did have a fondness for John Bell's wife, complimenting her, telling her that she was, you know, beautiful and, and, you know, worthy of so much more than this. Anyway, eventually, General Andrew Jackson... Ten years before he became president, he took an interest. In 1819, Jackson decided to visit the Bell Farm. He, with several men, horses, and a wagon, came. As they approached the farm, the wagon stopped dead. The horses refused to move. The wheels would not budge. They did everything to move this wagon, Mm -hmm. even removing the wheels and finding no problems with the axles or anything. Everything was in perfect condition. Until Andrew exclaimed, By the eternal boys, this must be the Bell Witch! Jokingly, obviously. 
but then a disembodied voice responded telling them to proceed and that she'd see them later while they're there apparently one of jackson's men claiming to be a witch hunter and saying that he has a silver bullet that can kill witches ended up getting his ass beat by this specter now i say witch and spirit and and it can get a little misleading because nobody could prove one way or another i mean it's very clearly poltergeist-like activity Mm-hmm. But the vo- voice at one point even exclaimed when a reverend came by to to check out the house. He said, who are you and what do you want? And she responded, I am nothing but old Kate Batts's witch, here to torment old Jack Bell to his death. <laughs> now, Kate Batts. Kate Batts was apparently, possibly, we have no way of knowing, a neighbor who felt cheated by John Bell uh, out of some land. Some people say that when she died, she swore to, you know, curse John Bell and his family. But then some people say that she didn't actually die until well after John Bell himself died. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? But it's, she said, old Kate Batts is witch, so maybe a witch hired by Kate Batts? <laughs> I don't know. Witch for hire? Uh, uh, from Rent-A-Witch? Yeah, Rent-A-Witch. <laughs> I'm going to cackle this whole episode. Oh, yes. Yes. The torment went on for well over a decade. In 1820, Bell was struck by an illness while walking to a pigsty. Possibly a stroke, for thereafter, he had a hard time speaking and swallowing. One December morning, he was found to be in a coma-like stupor. His son, searching the medicine cabinet, found that his medicine was replaced with a strange vial. When tested on the cat... It was found to be poisonous. Yes. Yeah. Fuckers. Because science. (laughs) And the witch... Superstition. (laughs) Science. You tested on a cat. That's how I test everything. The witch immediately chimed up with how she did it. And there's like a whole lot. There's so much. I I mean, if I were to write out everything that I read about the the bell witch i'd be talking for the full hour there was so much mm-hmm. you know there was the i'll be back in seven years and then she came back and and said something and then i'll be back in 107 years or 130 years or something and um we don't that know if she ever cave? did that isn't there a cave I, there's there's the the bell witch cave and i didn't go much into it because at this point i was just like oh my god yeah this is so completely insane because she continues to stalk the daughter doesn't she and tells yes. her daughter who she can and can't marry and stuff well, and there's an interesting thought behind that. Richard Powell, who's a school teacher who was in love with Betsy, it's believed that he possibly, with the help of some some people, did the, all these pranks and, and things to just scare Betsy's fiancé away. And it worked. Her mm-hmm. fiancé left her and was just like, no, nah, this shit's crazy, and he, he ducked out. Nah, um, thanks. And Richard Powell ended up marrying her. Mm-hmm. So there's that thought, and then the whole poisoning of John Bell was kind of maybe somebody else, or somebody was really just having a great time tormenting this guy, and and or he had uh, a stroke and died, and the whole thing with the poison was was completely made up. But it was a strange vial, and they tested it on the cat. Super poisonous. Can't possibly be bullshit. Can't possibly. But I mean, it's it's such it's such um it's an extraordinary story, in the sense that it's it's. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And and I'm sitting here as, as somebody who loves to believe in this crap, and I'm like, no, these guys were fucked with hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think it was a witch's spirit, and I don't think it was a, a witch particularly. But yeah. So if you want to learn more about the Bell Witch, there is so much out there to, yeah. to look for. Um, apparently you can visit the cave and people that have visited the cave and taken things from the cave have um, found themselves falling into bad luck and have sent mm-hmm. the items back to the gift shop at the cave or wherever the cave is. So the curse apparently continues to this day. If you nick anything from the cave, you're cursed. But there's a lot of places that have those kinds of myths and legends about if you take anything, you'll have bad luck. Um, but yeah. the Bell, Bell Witch Cave is one of those places. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, I've got my own, my own feelings about that. Cause I, I mean, I have a lot of people, well, not a lot, but for what it is, it's a lot more frequent than you would think. Customers coming to me 
um, because I'm kind of the local witch in the area at, at my shop and asking me what to do if they've been cursed. And I asked them all, like, what makes you think you're cursed? And, and some, some people are like, oh, I was told straight up that I was cursed. Now, this this woman, she's my my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend, and she was, like, heavy into Santeria and totally <laughs> cursed me. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and again, I'm, like, on these witches, pagan Facebook groups and things like that, and people really do believe that they've been cursed. And I'm all, you sure it really has nothing to do with your own kind of poor decision making. Like if you're if you're told you're cursed by somebody who, I mean, if somebody practices Santeria, that's that's some intense stuff. And if they tell you that they've cursed you, I can understand why you would be concerned. But so much of it is psychological. I mean, if if you believe that you've been cursed and you can sort of pass off every any any bad thing that happens to you from that point on. You can blame on that curse. And suddenly getting out of this this bad luck slump is no longer your responsibility because the curse is doing it. Can can I say it? Can can I say my phrase? It's um Yes. Ad hoc ergo Proctor Hoc. The logical fallacy that one event following another must have been caused by the previous event. So I have been cursed, so all of my bad luck must then, therefore, be caused by the curse. Exactly. I think if you're exactly, it's an it's infuriating because I I don't like I I have a little pet peeve of mine if somebody just will not take responsibility for their own shit. Mhm. You know, and and that kind of thing just really really irks me. I'm all, yeah, these were your your poor decision making, oh. but I mean it's but it's also been proven that that if somebody feels like they've been cursed they personally recede away from people. Like they, they start pushing people away, kind of pulling back. Their social interactions are different. Suddenly they're, they're an, in a darker place and making everything that they do and everything that they surround themselves with not what would help. You know what I mean? Are there a lot of people around you that think they've been cursed? I would say since January, I've probably had about four to six people come to me about having been cursed. So it's not a lot, but that's more than you'd think. I mean, I get people coming to me for all kinds of magical things, and I've had more people talk to me about having been cursed than people asking me how best to communicate with angels. And you'd think that would have been would have been more would have been a bit more common. No, but the curse thing is is. Uh, I mean, that boggles my mind to no yeah. end. The, but you are in a place where those kinds of conversations are expected to occur so I have to remember that that you are in a place where people are seeking out that kind of information so you're going to get an influx of more of this data you know than than I would but I simply have never met a single person since I was a teenager probably and it was one of us (laughs) that have (laughs) they have been cursed even we didn't mess around with curses or anything like that, I don't think. No, no, no. But we, it's we did do like stupid like love spells and stuff like that. So it's yeah. like I'm counting love spells in curses in my own personal um in my head canon. Yeah, yeah. Because I believe that love spells take the agency away from the person that you're casting on. And if you believe in no, that absolutely. type of thing, you're taking away their free will. It's a curse. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's one of the key things that a lot of people don't realize when you get into, you know, paganism or magic or anything like that, and they're trying to figure out what's white and dark magic and, and things like that. You definitely don't ever make somebody else's decision for them. Yep. You know, you don't, don't try to force a feeling on somebody who's not anticipating it. You only ever do spells for people who are expecting it because it's just more effective that way. And I'm not sitting here saying that spells work in a Harry Potter sense. I mean, if it's, it's again, it's so much of it is psychology. If you believe that good luck is coming your way, suddenly you start seeing the good things that are happening better. It's just pure psychology. But if you're throwing good mojo at somebody, it, it does help. It's not because of flicking a wand at you. It's just because now you can see things differently or you better. Have a different, you've got a different level of confidence because you think that you've cast some kind of, you know, enchantment on somebody that will see you for the beautiful, sexy beast that you are. 
Um, mm -hmm. So instead, you start to exude those kinds of qualities, and they do start to notice the beautiful, sexy beast that you are. And it's not exactly. because of the spell; it's because you are now more open to it yourself. And mm -hmm. and that's why that's where I think that's where my line is. It's not magic; it's human nature. But I'm, we're yes. not going to go into um, <clears throat> that today because it's the best it, witches are essentially con men. Yep, essentially. And I will have an example of that later but it's i'm all for things that don't cause any harm as long like we've talked about it previously if it causes no harm who the hell am i to tell someone else what they can and can't believe but mm -hmm. at the same time i have the right to say nah come on it's not magic <laughs> <laughs> but whatever's um tell me more curses do you have more curses tell me more i know Bellwitch, so okay so another one is giles Corey. Giles Corey was an English-born American farmer accused of witchcraft with his wife in Salem. Earlier in life, and I say earlier, almost jokingly, at 65, he, he didn't die until he was like into his 80s. When he was 65 years old, he was brought to court for beating an indentured worker, Jacob Goodall, to death with a stick for stealing apples. So fundamentally, this guy's maybe not the nicest. Mm, might be a bit of a POS. Not the most agreeable of men. Right. He's been married like three times. But in 1692, his wife was accused of witchcraft in Salem. And Giles got all swept up in the, the, the whole thing. And he was like, totally, yes, my wife must be a witch. You oh. know, he was, yeah, totally just like, oh, yeah, no, fuck her. Until a month later, he was arrested for witchcraft as well. Now, according to law at the time, a person who refused to plead, whether guilty or not guilty, could not be tried. So... The legal remedy for that was punish was torture. Or somebody wrote, Pien faute de deux, hard and forceful punishment. Yeah. Particularly pressing. You know pressing? Yeah, yeah I do know pressing, yes. Pressing oh, is... We invented that. Yeah, it, it sounds like something you guys would do. I mean, between the French and the English, we came up with some pretty interesting shit. And I think pressing might be English, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> So for those that do not know, pressing is the practice of stripping one naked, laying a hard, flat board upon their back, and upon that board resting rocks, boulders, and heavy things. So um, It just sounds so practical that it sounds English. You know what I mean? Like, what do you need? Oh, a yeah. door. What else do you need? Some big fucking stones. Yes. You know, that's <laughs> it. Done. No blood. No, we're good. No. And you've, they fed them very sparingly. So on the first day, they would get three morsels of the worst bread. That's what it says. And day two, three drafts of standing water. Drafts? 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 Three sips. And then alternate that. So you get three, three bites of shitty bread and three sips of shitty water every other day. Now, Sheriff, 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 Sheriff Corwin was the sheriff in charge of pressing Giles Corey. Each time when asked to plea, Giles responded with more weight. Now, apparently, his story was kind of the basis for the Crucible or, or Chunk of the Crucible. I don't know. I've never seen the Crucible, but it kept getting mentioned in my research. Sheriff Corwin, even standing on the board at times, witnesses recall Giles's tongue pressed out of his mouth where the sheriff would force it in again with a cane. Eventually... Roughly three days passed, and he was pressed to death. Three days later, his wife was hung. It is said that he cursed the sheriff and his position upon dying, or just before dying. For every sheriff, beginning with Corwin, and thereafter, died of heart or blood ailments, and only stopped when the sheriff's office was moved from Salem to Middleton. Corwin himself died of a heart attack four years after. Now, again, that's a big kind of, like, coincidence, but... Mm. Uh, Every sheriff dying of a, a heart or blood ailment. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Is I don't know. Though? But I like... <laughs> if, um, I mean, his spirit think was... about this for a second. Is it that weird that that's how people were dying in this time period? No. Not at all. <laughs> Is it really... Or, you know, are we looking for things... Anyway, continue. Yeah, only, only completely. But it was said that his spirit was said to appear before the Salem fire of 1914. Of course it did. Mm -hmm. You wasn't going to miss that. Hell no. I'm going to ring this fire in. 
I thought that was interesting because it was, uh, you know, it was a, a male witch. He wasn't a witch. His his family sued the shit out of Corwin too. Mm-hmm. Like they they fought him so hard because he never pleaded. And and the main reason that he didn't plead was so that his family could keep his land, could keep his stuff. Yeah. So you know, even though he was a piece of shit for for beating his indentured man to death, uh, he did die to give his to keep his family from poverty from complete yeah, because the state would have confiscated his property oh yeah presumably yeah oh no it was it was guaranteed i mean and and that was a whole lot of that was that's one of the many fucking facets and aspects to the salem witch trials and just to witch trials in general um was you can also accumulate land and uh you know wealth <laughs> you know that kind of ties perfectly into what i was going to say because Right. So this is a little bit of a busman's holiday for me. Um, You might not actually be familiar with that term in uh, sunny USA. Um, A busman's holiday is basically if you uh, uh, imagine a a bus driver going on holiday, but driving around the countryside for his holiday. Okay. Okay. So a busman's holiday essentially means that I, this is my topic. Yeah. Right, so you're all very much familiar with the fact that I'm an archaeology student. My specialist subject is superstitious practices of the 17th to 18th centuries. <laughs> so, um, but in Britain, and but that can translate over to the USA because y'all were following the same superstitious practices as you were when you were here, when you were sort of yeah. moving over to the colonies and everything like that. So the Salem witch trials come in a little bit after our trials and. We had a witch mania and stuff like that in the UK. So just a heads up, I, I this is my subject area. <clears throat> I'm talking about your last point, which was the, um, funnily enough, people were able, to, sorry, the state, you know, like the government or people in charge could confiscate land through these kinds of persecutions is exactly one of the reasons why so many people were accused of witchcraft. I am, however, not going to go into the politics of it because this is a fun podcast and we're going to have fun <laughs> instead. Um, but I am, however, bringing my side of uh, the story, which is the, the the physical stuff that you can actually find, which proves and demonstrates superstitious practices in this time period. Yeah. So. Beyond all of these stories, because these stories are not provable. These stories are yeah. what they are. They are anecdotes and they're stories and they're fabulous to tell each other around a campfire. And obviously that's what gets me all riled up. But as an archaeology student and as a uh, somebody that loves stuff, um, actually holding physical objects is really important. So you've been cursed by a witch. What do you do next? You're in the 17th or 18th century, so, you know, you can't really go to see Melanie at her store and ask her what uh, remedies that she can make. But you can do something very similar, and I shall get into that. So there are a number of counter-magical charms, counter-magic charms that have been used over the centuries. Um, in particular, in the 17th and 18th centuries, at the height of witch mania in the UK, the practice of counter-magic itself was considered doing business with the devil. So good Christians needed to be careful when implementing these anti-witch practices or risk performing satanic magic themselves Mm. don't worry though the church will provide instructions to help ideally (laughs) ideally you should seek the advice of a priest and not try to rid yourself of a curse yourself and or do any proactive protection because that would also need approval so some things were off limits charms potions even hanging horseshoes Though we know people continue to do those things, particularly in rural areas where people 100% believed in magic, demons, spirits, the devil, witches, yeah. all of it. To them, magic was day to day. It was a nuisance and would probably have ranked pretty close to the top of the things that they were most concerned about that they needed their local MP to sort out, right? Like witchcraft right at the top. So cast yourself back a few hundred years and think about the fact that these people explained their reality the things that happen in their life through the comings and goings of magic magical curses and luck charms and everything like that totally believed that 
it was at a time where Christianity, Christian type religions were not quite taken totally on board by rural British people. They were still sort of doing some old school shit. Um, And at that time, there was a breed of people called Conning Folk who knew of the ways of magic and performed counter spells and could do hexes and charms themselves so you didn't have to. They could also advise you for a fee, of course. It was their profession. And they have been around for hundreds of years. And they're called Cunning Folk. And they're brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Cunning Folk? Cunning Folk. Oh, my God. I love that so much. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Continue. Yeah. It's okay. They were not good Christians, right? They practiced a type of earthy, natural, animal-worshipping, nature-abiding, hippie shit. Like how we might describe Wicca or paganism today. Okay. So they are the sort of root of Wicca and paganism. But they were very much a part of people's lives and people trusted them. Okay. And I have have an example of that coming up. Okay. So imagine your um, cow started to... So sow, your female cow, your sow, was starting to produce sour milk. You might believe that you've been cursed and you would hire a cunning person to come and bless your cow and undo yeah. the curse. But what happens if you get cursed? What are you going to do if a witch curses you? Well, you might think I'm fucked, but thankfully there is something you can do. You can hire this cunning person to write you a charm. You could hide a knife under your doormat. You could hang shears or iron hooks over your doors and windows. Yeah. Hide a dead cat. More on that later, if we've got time. (laughs) If we've got time, we'll go into the dead cat thing because I wrote an entire research paper on it and I could talk about it for days. So we might avoid it, but we'll see. We might do another episode on mummified cats. (laughs) (laughs) Or just do like an extra bit, you know, the dead cat bit. The dead cat bit, yeah. Um, Like, I know a lot about that. And if you want to call me on the phone, I will happily tell you about it. Anyway, um, (laughs) but the number one counter curse that we can see archaeologically is to make your very own witch bottle yes okay witch bottles are fucking awesome they are like my favorite archaeological objects honestly they're just fantastic so that's what i'm gonna talk a little bit about so first you've got to get yourself a bellamine jug it's sometimes called a bartman jug it's a german stoneware jug or bottle that has a cute little beardy man face on it Oh, it's like got a little beardy man. They're so cute. So basically, they're like orangey brown little jugs bottles. They come from Germany. They got cute little beardy man on them. Um, I'll post some pictures so that you can see them. I'll put them on the Instagram. They are adorable. They were not originally manufactured for the purpose of counter cursing. Just to make that very clear. Probably um, had some kind of wine or beer or you know imported alcoholic liquid in it. But the English took one look at, well, I should say British, because it happens in Scotland and Wales as well. So the Brit and not, yeah, a little bit in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, yeah, yeah. Um, so they took one look at this little cute little beardy faced man and thought, I'm going to piss in that. I'll explain. Okay. <laughs> you see, in order for your Bella Mind drug to become a witch bottle, you got to get some piss. Yes. Specifically, the piss of the person who's been cursed. Then you stuff all sorts of other stuff in that jug with the piss, like bent nails, pins, bits of felt cut into heart shapes, salt, nail clippings, hair of the victim, just for good measure. Then you cook it on a fire. But beware of exploding piss-filled ceramic jugs full of nails and pins. And did I mention piss? Yeah. (laughs) This is a risky tactic, but most effective. You can also bury the witch bottle or toss it into a body of water. But boiling that bad boy, that's the best way to get rid of the curse. There are quite a few written accounts of people using witch bottles. And there have been lots and lots of witch bottles found um, all over the UK. There's been some out here too. Yep. The the, the practice carries on over into the uh, USA because, uh, you know, obviously people moving over there took their practices with them. So... There are witches' bottles. And also there's other things like putting shoes in walls and and things like that. There's loads of counter magic stuff that people were doing in a mad, like crazily Christian time of history. People were doing all this sort of counter because witches were a real threat. 
at this mm -hmm. time. So um, <clears throat> there are so there's lots of written documentation and there's a lot of real actual bottles that get found. But I found a really good story. I read a word for word account by this uh, dude called Will William Brearley, and it's in old timey English. And so I have summarized. He was a rector and he was living in Suffolk in the UK in like the early part of the 17th century. And he was lodging at this boarding house and he was talking to the landlord about something that had happened a few years earlier to the landlord and his wife. So you can just imagine they're sitting at the bar having a drink and the landlord's telling him this story. Yeah. The landlord said that an old man had been traveling all about, had stopped at the house, was, was staying at the house. And while he was there, he asked the landlord how he and his wife were doing. Well, apparently the landlady wasn't feeling so hot and had been a long time in a languished condition and that she was haunted with a thing, the shape of a bird that was like all up in her face and like yeah. wouldn't let her sleep. And the old man was like, yeah, I know about them. Here, make her a witch bottle. The old man gave him a custom recipe and careful step-by-step -step instructions that included filling the Bellamine, a Bellamine jug with piss and all the other bits and bobs. And for the love of Satan, do not let the bottle burst or let that cork fly out or it will not fucking work. Yeah. Well, the landlord and his fair wife uh, decided to follow the old man's advice and she pissed in the bottle and did all the other stuff like ramming felt and pins and everything in that. And then they corked it up and the landlord put it on the fire. Now, when that piss began to boil, the bottle started jostling about, as you would expect. There's boiling yeah. piss inside a bottle. But this guy reckoned that it was the devil making the bottle shake, like you do. Oh, no. So he grabbed a fire shovel to keep it still and to plug up the cork and stop it from bursting. Well, apparently, next, a super spooky thing happened. Woo! And he, like, totally felt an entity push his arm. So the fire shovel twitched and let the cork go. And apparently it was like a fucking pistol going off with all piss and nails and needles. And uh, so it, it burst. Yeah. Needless to say, it didn't work. The curse wasn't lifted. The guy gave up. His life was still tormented and had to resign to the fact that she had to live with this bird in her face all the live long day. Not good. Well, <laughs> and there. Anyway, right? Okay, so apparently the old man came back. Must have been bored. Don't know. He came back and he asks, So, how'd it go? And the landlord told him the story and the guy was like, like, for fuck's sake, okay, do it again. But bury the fucker this time. I knew I should have done it. Yeah. <laughs> P.S. This witch is powerful. So, you know, don't feel too bad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time it only goes and fucking works. Right. His wife is like, no, no bird, no bird. And yay, sleep. Um, now I can labor at the whim of my husband again. Yay. And clean all the linens. Yay. Yeah. Uh, all is good at Mr. and Mrs. Landlord's house. But <laughs> like right after Mrs. Landlord gets better, some woman from another village comes rocking up all hysterical and being like, you killed my husband. And they're like, what? Oh, so it was your husband who cast the fucking curse. What the hell? Nice. Okay. So because they had counteracted the curse, the original caster, a wizard with two Zs, actually yes. died when the curse was flung right back at him. So I end that with hashtag sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Now that leads me to another thing about witch bottles. Um, they are connected to the witch who cast the spell, apparently, yeah. because she or he has made a magical link with the victim by casting the curse in the first place. And this is called sympathetic magic, which, Melanie, you would be familiar with. Yeah. Um, so because she or he, in the above case, was a he, uh, a wizard with two Zs, or, or the witch, um, because... Uh, when you create and destroy or dispose of the witch bottle, it would harm the original caster. Mm -hmm. So essentially you're doing magic yourself by doing that. So you have to yeah. ask yourself if you're willing, if you're going to make a witch bottle, if you're actually willing to cast magic yourself. So there's a little bit of a moral quandary there for people that were trying to be good Christians, but it just kind of goes to show you that people would present themselves as Christian and then do these things that the church would be like, do not fucking do this. It's bad. Yeah. Naughty, naughty, not not Christian. 
but people naughty. Are clear. naughty. Um, it also works for cursed animals. So um, if you get your, your horse to piss in a witch bottle and you do the exact same thing, it would it would work. It's a tried and tested technique for reading yourself of a loved one of pesky witches curses. And probably yeah. one of my favorite counter magic beliefs ever, because essentially it's like the nasty ass bottle filled with piss and broken yeah. nails. And well, not broken nails, but bent nails and fingernails and hair and oh, just all sorts of gross stuff. We find them in, in the rivers all over the country. We find them buried in people's gardens. We find them in pieces because they've smashed because they've had they've been used and that someone's tried to boil them and it's burst you find them completely intact i mean they're just they're just cool they're just really cool things and one of my favorite counter curses there are others there's things like hagstones have you heard of hagstones oh yeah all right so i will explain for those people that haven't heard of hagstones but essentially hagstones are um stones that you find with naturally occurring holes in them which is why they're kind of hard to uh verify archaeologically because they could just be you know they could just be a stone with a hole through it you have to make sure that they are within a context that it makes sense that it's being used as a hagstone they're also known as evil eyes but it's a naturally occurring hole through a stone. And what people used to do is they used to hang them up in their stables at night. And apparently this would ward away the witches from coming and riding their horses at night. Um, because farmers would come out um, or people that held had horses would come out and their like horses would all be hot and bothered, like they'd been ridden all night. And so they would believe that a witch had been in the night to ride their um, horse and do their evil bidding. Yeah. So you you hang these hagstones and it stops the witch from being able to come in and ride your horse. And that's actually where we get the term nightmare from. Um, it's Yeah, it's from nurse, uh, witches stealing your mares at night to ride them nice. around. So, uh, yeah, so the term nightmare. There's, there's some other... Um, linguistic roots that it could possibly be but it's one of the potential roots of the term i should say potential the term nightmare because there are some other theories as well i already kind of mentioned shoes shoes are quite common um teeth teeth are quite common as well burying teeth but the teeth are actually a curse not a counter curse but you can use teeth as a counter curse as well so if you've been cursed you can find some teeth and counter curse so it's both. And then another one of my favorites, which I mentioned earlier, which was mummified cats. And so yeah. I'm going to say to you, do you want me to talk about mummified cats? I'd like to hear a little bit about these mummified cats. Okay. I will try to keep it brief because I could really go on and on about it. But basically, we f- in Britain find, and in the USA actually, and over Europe, so all over the place, <laughs> where witches are a thing, find that sometimes there are deliberate deposits of dead cats yeah. in the foundations, walls, floors, fireplaces, under doorways, um, under windows, things like that, in houses. They could have been put there during renovations. They could have been put there uh, when the house was built and they could have been deliberately placed after the fact by having the floorboards pulled up, put the cat in and close the floorboards. A lot of people asked me when I was doing my research on it, how can you tell whether or not the cat was dead when it crawled in the space? Did it crawl in the space and then die? Because cats, that's what cats do. And um A lot of the time, I can't answer that question. It's very hard to determine whether or not a cat has crawled into those spaces. But I managed to find a data set of at least 53 cats that have no known possible way of getting into where they ended up or were very clearly deliberately placed there. And the way that you can tell that they were deliberately placed there is because they are in compartments that are impossible to get to without like taking up stones or board or you know like floor work and putting them in or that they've been posed in some way so yeah. they have sticks and stuff in them to keep them in like a gnarly screeching pose um, that like typical halloween cat position yes yes and sometimes they're fined with rats or mice in their mouths as well so, so some people think that they might be a vermin scare, but why would it scare any vermin if it was hidden behind a fireplace? It doesn't make any sense to me. So there's like yeah. 
they're very deliberately hidden. And a lot of times you find them in association with doorways. Now, that was part of my research was to find out where in the house was most common. And doorways were definitely the most common place to find door, uh, cats, but very, very close to hearths. But there was a skew. There's like a, a flaw in my data, which is that I can only use cats that I know for sure were deliberately deposited. Yeah. So it, it, it skews your data because you can't use your full data set. So for those of you who are listening who are of a scientific mind, you know what I mean about having a biased data set. Anyway, I also try to look at houses um, where they're placed on the road, whether they were at crossroads or not, because I know that crossroads are also associated with witches oh, and yeah. just basically like demons and devil anyway. And I couldn't um, say for sure, so I left it out of my research, but I put it in an appendix. But a third of all of my data set were found near crossroads. But like I said, the data was biased, so it's really yeah. hard to tell. So the reason why people think that these are associated with witchcraft and counter witchcraft superstition is because witches are believed to have familiars yeah. and familiars would be in the form of uh, the kind of animals you typically see like spinster old ladies keeping that it's really sad because when you think about it, it's basically just alienating and making other making it really hard for for women who just did, did, didn't get married or their husbands died yeah. or for whatever reason. It just because it's animals like cats. We just dogs. love cats, man. Yeah. We, women just, you know, like cats. Cats are the biggest one, but there's also dogs uh, sometimes, but women would keep dogs to help protect them. So that will make sense. But ferrets, rats, um, you know. Crows. Yeah. Just like, well, not so much. Um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes in later mythology, crows and ravens, but um, actually more along the lines of like, I don't want to say budgies, but like sort of, you know, finches, <laughs> like, just like wild birds and stuff. So, it, it, but not huge ones, just like little yeah. ones that you're friends with. So these creatures, which will have like, oh gosh, I wish I had my, um, uh, uh, I have some amazing documents of uh, witches' familiars' names, and nice. some of them are just fantastic. And I don't have it quickly to hand at the moment. I can see my my shelf full of witch books, uh, the Pendle witches and everything like that, which is like my special, special, special subject. Um, but it's too far away, so I'll just no. leave it. But uh, I'll, I'll talk about them another time. But there's some fantastic, fantastic names for familiars. And uh, uh, where was I going with this? So, yeah, so the, the witches would have this association with cats because they would have familiars and cats are kind of the number one thing. Also, cats are believed to be able to communicate with the other side. They've got like a weird unearthliness about them. And it's believed um, in, in uh, a lot of cultures that cats can cross over into the afterlife and come yeah. back. Well, also, sort of I mean, like, cats can see ghosts, you know. If a cat's staring at a wall and won't budge, right. you know that cat's seeing something. Yeah, they're seeing into another dimension. That's absolutely... You listen to that fucking cat. I don't believe in ghosts, and I don't... You know what I mean? But, like, when my cats are staring at a corner, there's a part of me that goes, can they see into another dimension? Like... They're well, seeing ghosts. Just, they're seeing something. Um so cats but like the, the sort of idea that they've got nine lives i think comes from the fact that people used to believe that they could cross over into the afterlife and come back again think about the egyptians the egyptians thought that cats could wander between the worlds yeah. um you know and that you know you've got to respect them because they're actually like messengers of the afterlife and um and, and that that belief carries on today people still think that cats have some kind of unearthly power and some people still are superstitious of black cats and things like that and that continues now so they see ghosts yes stick to it they do <laughs> they're seeing yeah. something see um <laughs> I, I i live with i live with cats i know they're fucking freaks so i don't blame people for um, believing that they have some kind of packed with the devil so for, for for quite a while people associated cats with witches so how does this become a counter magic charm apparently if you bury a cat it is believed that it would ward off wandering spirits 
or sort of protect yourself against witches and their familiars. So it's kind of like a proactive, here, I'm going to stick a cat in my house before you have a chance kind of thing, which is kind of why I thought that they would be found at Crossroads as well, because apparently Crossroads are where spirits wander and get lost. So if you live on a crossroads, you need to protect your house. Mm-hmm. So there. Nice. Nice. I mean, I have no real way of concluding that other than to just say, you know, when we did the mummies episode and you said about they found a tomb full of thousands of mummified cats. Yeah. That actually triggered a um, a sort of idea in me. I don't know if I ever told you this afterwards. I've now got a theory about why all of these mummified cats suddenly start showing up in Britain buried under the houses. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it was the Victorians importing all of these mummified cats from Brit- from Egypt and sticking them under their houses as a way, as a superstitious practice, because Victorians are infamous for coming up with new superstitions. Yeah, yeah. So I could go into that as well. But like another example of that is sticking a penny in a tree and things like that those that's a victorian custom and i thought when we were doing that episode i was like i wonder if this is actually a really modern practice that the victorians started doing when they had loads of mummified cats coming in from egypt it'd be interesting to test some of these cats that have been found to see where their origins are because there's been no real study on the mummified cats in terms of um testing their flesh or you know dating them or anything like that um which is something that i wanted to pursue but i don't know if i'm going to but um essentially yeah there's 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 no real data on where any of these cats came from some of them are local cats i'm sure but i'm wondering if you know i'm just wondering huh i wonder if people went out and purchased mummified cats from egypt for the purpose of depositing in their house yeah 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 well because i'm sure that that whole um you know burying a dead cat or hiding a dead cat it was been a lingering in in the the subculture in the the back back of the mind of the victorian england uh of oh my god words stopped working <laughs> but i'm sure that practice was still sort of like lingering in the back so there's like a bushel of mummified cats coming and they're like oh didn't we use this for something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, either that, either that, or they just came up with it themselves and thought, yeah. oh, you know what these mummified cats would be really good for? Protecting us from curses. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Bad um, mojo. Because the thing is, the houses that they're deposited in, they range in the period in which they were built. So they they range in, in, in date from the 16th century to the modern day. Like, honestly, there's still cats being found in houses that were only renovated in the 30s and 40s. So people were still doing it. Um, The thing about builders is that they are really superstitious themselves. So they don't actually talk about the things that they do. Um, Because apparently putting shoes under things like that's a thing that builders do. uh, But they don't talk about it. They just go, they keep shtum and they don't say anything. So if they were depositing cats in the 20s and 30s and 40s, they're not going to say anything. It's not something that they talk about because it's superstitious. Yeah. but there's all there's every possibility that even though you found it in a six, 16th century um, cottage, it doesn't mean that it doesn't it, it, that the person that deposited the cat could have put it there in you know 1899, 1901. Like you've got no idea. Yeah. Uh, unless someone literally writes it down, <laughs> you know you don't know. <laughs> deposited so. this cat this day in 1642. I'm sure that there's a few diary entries um, along the way, but yeah, no, it's really, really interesting. So, but yeah, witch bottles and mummified cats, fucking awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, I do want to bring up one last witch curse. Okay. And I'll keep real short because this one's probably my favorite of the ones that I, I researched. Okay. Julia Brown of Manchac Swamp, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Now, Julia Brown was a well-respected magic practitioner in Frenier, Louisiana. She was a healer, a midwife. People would come to her because there was no local doctor. So if someone got sick, they would have to travel to New Orleans or uh, go see Julia. Yeah, that's very, very, very similar to conning people. You would go to them if you had ailments um, and, and, and things like that because it wasn't a common practice to go see a doctor. So there's a parallel yeah. exactly there. That's what conning folk were, where your local... Um, apothecary. I I need a shirt or something 
for like cunning folk because that's my new favorite thing. <laughs> All right, just saying. So Julia Brown, I mean, she she was solid. She was, um, I mean, she there were even people talking about how she would sometimes walk down the street and go door to door see who needed help with anything. Good, good woman. But eventually, the people just started taking her for granted, and instead of asking for help or asking for favors, they started demanding it. Pushed too far, she started getting a little, a little crotchety, mm-hmm. cranky about it. So if somebody pushed her too far, she would just start. She would start making predictions, predictions or curses. Who can say? But whatever it was that she predicted would happen. Something like, you know, your your cow's gonna get your your horse is gonna get sick, or you know, you're gonna run into some shit luck with money or something like that wasn't anything too huge, but it was enough for people to go, oh, she's pissed. In the weeks leading up to her death, she could be heard singing, one day I'm going to die, and I'm going to take all of you with me. Mm-hmm. Now, what I like about this is that this is actually fairly verifiable. It was it was written in uh, newspapers, like local newspapers, that people were saying that she's singing this thing, and that was making her, making them nervous. On September 28, 1915, she died. The whole town gathered to show respect and, you know, try to ease her soul gently to the other world. You know, it's like, we're sorry, we love you, you, we're good. As she, as the nails were being hammered into her coffin, and again, this is written down. This was written down in, a, in a, again, another, like, newspaper article. They're like, they, they hadn't even finished boxing her up. Melanie, just because it's written down doesn't mean it's not bullshit. No, 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 no. But, but, but from the newspapers of the time. So it's like, it wasn't even like from like 30 years later. It was like from the news articles at the time. Yeah, contemporary bullshit. <laughs> but still, can, can you give me a second here? I know, I know. Um, yeah, no, that, that little tidbit I will totally go with as being uh, allegorical. You know, just kind yes. of like, yeah. Um. But as she was being buried, a devastating hurricane ripped through, leaving, some people think, maybe two people alive. Oh, dear. And this is true. There was a hurricane. This was a small town. Frenier was a small town um, of maybe 330 people. A hurricane hit that town in 1915 on September 28, killing 328 people. I mean, okay, so I think I spoke too soon when I was saying, you know, contemporary bullshit. There's properly was something that killed a bunch of people. Yeah, all right, fair right. enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, because I'm reading this and I'm all like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a cool story. And I'm all like, let me see if they're a hurricane. Oh, shit. Let me see if, no, okay, yeah, no, they, they were writing about her song. They were they were aware of how creepy her song was and they didn't trust it like a week or two before she died. Countless developers have tried to rebuild, but the only part remaining of Julia Brown's village is a mass grave where the dead are buried. Blimey. I thought it was cool. So Wait, she's so, my favorite. So the hurricane hit during her funeral, or while she yeah. was being prepared for her funeral? Yeah, the day of her funeral. And were all the people that were preparing her for her funeral killed? Yeah. No town. I mean, that's pretty gnarly. I wonder who she, why she spared those those people those few people right well and, and that's the thing is like um now now with curses i have a hard time with mainly because as as a practitioner it is very hard it is impossible to to create that but predictions uh what's what's the word premonitions premonitions things like that i have experienced Things of that nature that uh, ESPN, come on. Club Sensory Perception. Thank you. Fuck, man, that was way <laughs> too hard. Clairvoyance intuition, I mean, I, I experienced that. That's that's something that I know in my life. So to say that she cursed the town, I don't so much believe, but maybe that she saw something in the weather. She's, she just somehow knew that a big old storm was coming and would just wanted to freak the fuck out of these people. Um, mm. Like that I buy that. I totally believe. I mean, I mean, you can, I'm obviously in my mind, I'm going to think to say when I die, I'm going to take you all with me is like a pretty straightforward 
like threat that someone could just have on a whim on a daily basis mm-hmm. or whatever because they've turned into a nasty person and it just so happens that on the day of her funeral there was a nasty horribly horrible like gnarly um that's a hell of a coincidence hell of a coincidence yeah but i would still personally see it as a coincidence however i can totally understand how somebody else would go that bitch's curse was real i totally see that um and and that's why superstitions maintain to this day because there's a lot of really good examples of ones you can't explain without just going it's a coincidence and it's a coincidence isn't in enough for some people well and 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 again i'm i'm not even sitting here saying that her curse was real i Mm. think she knew that was going to happen yeah um and i think she's a badass and i love her she's my (laughs) hero i adore a lot of people if her curse was real i know but still like that's badass and i love her like my my witchy heart just is like oh i love you Right. Well, regardless. Okay. So if we just take away the fact that the the hurricane was her curse, she was cool. She's badass. Before that point, yeah, she was a badass to that point. So, you know, if I like believe that the hurricane had nothing to do with her, then she can remain a cool person because she actually didn't kill 320 yeah. odd people because that had nothing to do with her. But you know, I like to see her sitting in the afterlife with a big glass of red wine with a cat on her lap going, ha, 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 told you so. Told you so. I only sang it for weeks. You could have (laughs) left. Well, that's a pretty um, uh, humzinger of a a curse there. I love this. Made me happy. (laughs) But I, I liked it because I could, I could, I could back it up to some extent. Um, whereas everything else is just so much hokey storytelling and, and uh, you know, coming from places of fear, mm-hmm. you know, when you're telling about a, a curse um, or, yes, yeah, so much of it just comes from a place of fear and storytelling. And, and I like this one because uh, it's fucking solid. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I often find that curses are usually used as a um another form of evidence against people so um it's just one of the list of things that people will say in some kind of um witch trial um in order to verify that this person was a witch so she has a familiar and she's got a crooked nose and she cursed me and it's just on the list of things that that people say in order to um, prove that somebody's a witch so there's so many, so many examples of witches' curses in this country because pretty much every witch trial you had to have a curse in order to, it's kind of like, you know, in order to become a saint, you've got to perform three miracles. Yeah. In, in order to be a witch, you've got to perform a curse, you know, for you to be tried, yeah. you know. So it, it, it it's just on the list of things to tick, you know, other than the third nipple and, you know. Yeah. Nipples again. All those nipples. Obsession with nipples, guys. (laughs) Us witches love nipples. All right. So if you love nipples, or if you have anything you want to throw at us, any anecdotes about witches' curses, want to tell me where I'm talking a bunch of crap, Mm -hmm. please email us at uh, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. Is it zombiefishbowlpodcast or just zombiefishbowl? It's zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com, yeah. Zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. You can also see us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We're easy enough to find. Yes, we're very unique. <laughs> right. So next is the random topic picker. Should I do my song? Yes. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker, and you're gonna tip pick a topic. Yes. This. One is a listener request. Ooh. From your sister, Mikey. Nice. Darwin Awards. Okay, yes. All right, cool. I love Darwin Awards. We grew up on Darwin Awards. Yes. We, We. Oh, I'll go into it. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, I have like eight right here at the forefront of my mind. I'm so excited. I don't even need to research this. Let's make a rule that if there are any living relatives, that we do not use them as an example. Oh, boy. Okay. What if we don't do names? Okay. Yeah. 
Because some I of these I don't about know. someone hearing it and being like, "That's my uncle," and I'm oh, still yeah, yeah. raw about it. And we we may be laughing about the circumstances of the death, but we will be respecting, <laughs> trying to respect the people who died. Maybe. All right, and as we end this episode, I do have a quote for the week. Oh yay! Ready? This comes from, well, I was trying to find a quote, and I, I always, tr- I, I like to try and find a quote that it fits the topic, mm-hmm. but every quote I was finding was so, was not what I wanted, um, so I was feeling a little blue, and you know who cheers me up when I'm feeling blue? Shel Silverstein. Each time I see the upside down man standing in the water, I look at him and start to laugh, although I shouldn't otter. For maybe in another world, another time, another town, maybe he is right side up and I am upside down. Very nice. End. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, right. Well, that was nice. All right. Cool. Um, join us next week uh, when we'll be talking about Darwin Awards. Darwin uh, Awards. <laughs> and thank you to Mikey for her request. Yeah, Mikey. It's on you. She's going to be so excited. <laughs> All, right, All right. So. Um, everybody have a lovely week and we'll oh, we don't have any kind of punchline to leave the podcast this is my biggest yeah. regret oh we gotta come up with something if you have any good ideas for a punchline run it by us and see if we can't figure something out yeah just to take us out of the podcast we need like, like that like catchphrase that thing that goes like thanks like join us in the next fishbowl but that doesn't make any sense something like that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming. We love you so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, shit.